Well, hello, welcome to Northridge Church, everybody. We're excited that you're here. My name is Adam, and uh, I'm the middle school pastor here, and it's a joy for me to be with you this morning. It truly is. If this is your first time, welcome. And if you're joining us from online at Starbucks or your mom's house, thanks for coming and thanks for being here. I'm continuing our series, rather, I'm ending our series called Look. And now, so if it is your first time, uh, you're kind of coming in at the end of a movie. And so I encourage you, go on northridgechurch.com and listen to the past two weeks, podcast it, video watch it, whatever you want to do, because Justin and Colston really set up this series, and I get the privilege of ending it. But the series was based on one verse, and it's about generational relationships and, and what we remember and what we forget. So let's read this one verse that the whole series was based off of, because when we read this verse... Justin Colston and I, we, it rocked us. We're like, we have to do a series on this one verse. And it's Judges 2.10. says this, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now I have to explain a few things. That whole generation who passed away, that included people like Moses and Joshua, Now we just sing, our God reigns, our God reigns, forever your kingdom reigns. And that God was was there. And he tapped Moses on the shoulder and said, I have a big assignment for you. You're You're gonna help me free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And if you know the story, the book of Exodus tells of the exit. That's why it's called Exodus, leaving exit kind of thing. You you with me? You good? You know what the okay, good. All right, sweet. Just making sure you had your Starbucks this morning. And Moses did some amazing things, truly incredible things. But they, they, they had obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, um, the least of which, the Red Sea. You know that story, right? They, they left Egypt, got to the Red Sea, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, great. Look at this. And Moses like, have faith, just trust in God. And then he's like, God, what do I do? And so God told him, hey, just stick your staff in the water, and it'll be all right. And he did, and the sea split in two. Our God reigns, our God reigns. God was faithful time and time again. When they got hungry in the desert, God rained food from the sky. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs, anybody? I'm a middle school pastor. You gotta throw those things in there. And then when they got thirsty... God told Moses, hey, speak to that rock and and water will come out. Well, as you know, uh, Moses was human and so he hit the rock. But water still rushed out. And the lessons of the food and the water were amazing. If you need anything, trust God. The food especially, it rained down every day. And God said, I'm going to give you food Wednesday. And don't store up for yourselves food for Thursday because on Thursday morning I'm giving you brand new food. And it was a lesson to trust every day that God is going to provide. Our God reigns. Our God reigns forever. His kingdom reigns. He was faithful time and time again. And yet Moses passed away and Joshua led the nation. And he, he led the nation really well. He, he took the Israelites into the promised land. And it was incredible. But then he passed away. And here we find ourselves with this one verse, Judges 2.10. Moses, Joshua, that generation was gone. And another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord 
nor what he had done for Israel. Nobody talked about food falling from the sky around the campfire. No grandpa went to his grandson and says, let me tell you about a time where Moses hit a rock and water came out. No one talked about it. No one said, don't forget, God has been faithful. Don't forget, our God reigns. And so that's why we did this series. Because if we're not careful, Judges 2.10 is going to be our reality. Where a generation after us rises up and they don't know God. They don't know all that he's done in our lives. And so Justin kicked off the series two weeks ago talking about we need to look up if we're to avoid this. We need to look up. The series called Look. We need to look up and glean wisdom, gain wisdom from those who have gone before us. Have them tell the stories of God's faithfulness so we know that God is always faithful. There are people in every life stage that have been where you currently are in faith, finances, family, vocation, and they have wisdom that you need. And so Justin encouraged us to look up. The one line that I love is wise people learn from their mistakes. The wisest people learn from other people's mistakes. So are you looking up? Do you have a mentor? Last week, Colston, our newest pastor on staff, and the only one who likes country music. He is affecting other people. I heard Brad uh, jamming to country just in the hallway the other day. I was like, what is going on? Just kidding, he's out of town. I didn't, do, that's a lie. I, I, sorry. But Colston talked about not only look up, but look down. And he used Paul as a great example. See, Paul had Barnabas to pour into him. Barnabas believed in Paul. But Paul didn't stop there. Paul had Timothy. Paul found Timothy, most likely a teenager at that point, and said, here's what you need to know to succeed in faith and family. Here's what you need to know that you don't know right now, but I do, and I'm going to pass it on. Colson said, God uses people to pass the baton of faith. And so who are you bringing along? So look up and look down. But what about those around us? What about people we live with every single day? What about the people you've grown up with? I believe the entirety of our lives is not looking up or looking down. I, the entirety of your life will be lived among people that you call your peers, lived among people who are in your community, your circle of influence. See, it's the people that you do life with on a daily basis that have the power to shape your priorities. It, it may be subtle, and you may not see it, but they have the power to influence you, to push you forward, or to hold you back. 1 Corinthians 15, says this, don't be misled, because apparently it's easy to be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You don't even need to be a church person to know that that's true. Bad company corrupts good character. See, people have influence over us. And yeah, sure, looking up is good and looking down is good, but we need to start looking around us. And if we want to avoid Judges 2.10 in our generation, then we need to look around. I've been influenced in many areas of my life. Um, one example I can think of is in the realm of, of coffee. I used to hate coffee. Hated everything about it. Raise your hand if you hate coffee here at all of our campuses. Raise, online, if you're in a coffee shop, don't raise your hand. That's a bit hypocritical. 
I, sorry, I didn't see the hands. Raise your hands. You hate coffee. Raise them high. You hate coffee. I hated the smell. I hated the taste. I hated everything about it. And my community, my friends, they always told me, you're going to drink coffee one day. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm really not. I hate it. My mom, you're going to drink coffee one day. No, mom, I'm not going to drink coffee. I hate it. And I went to Nicaragua with Northridge. It was an outreach trip, and we have a missionary down there. He's one of my good friends. He actually worked here for a time when I first arrived at Northridge, and then we sent him to Nicaragua as a church. And his name is Scott, and he was one of the ones that always made fun of me for not drinking coffee. We would go to a coffee shop, and he'd get the manly coffee, and I'd get, you know, the three-year-old hot chocolate. But counseling has helped my self-esteem a lot since that time, so uh, it's okay for me to tell you that. You know, we've worked through it. But going down to Nicaragua, one of the only sources of caffeine that we found was coffee. And so I was like, okay. Just, I mean, maybe some of you are like me. In order to act Christ-like in the morning, um, I need caffeine. And so it's bad, I know. Uh, But so I drank a cup, and I was like, okay, this still is terrible, okay? This is bad, but I'm going to do it. I I need coffee. Uh, so by the end of the week, I was amongst the people that not only drank a cup in the morning, but there was a group of people, really intense coffee lovers, and they were like, man, this Nicaraguan coffee is really good. And by the end of the week, I was like, hey, it's kind of good. I kind of like it. <laughs> and when I came home, I had the option to not drink coffee anymore because other sources of caffeine were readily available. But guess what I did? I have a Starbucks gold card. Okay? A gold card. That's, that's one shy of a 12-step program for addiction. I'm just saying. Like, it is. Gold card, if you don't know, you got to buy a certain amount of coffee to, like, get it. And then you got to keep buying that co- to keep it. And then every 12th drink, you get a free drink. I'd be ashamed to tell you how many free drinks I get in a given month. I was influenced, subtly influenced, into coffee. Now, that's just kind of a silly example, but I'm not the only one that that this happens to. Some of you have been influenced in positive and negative ways. Some of you have been influenced to buy something that you never knew you needed until you saw it. You're like, I need that. You were influenced. Some of you were influenced to join a gym. See, influence is not always bad. Some, some of you got roped into a gym membership. Some of you, I'm seeing some Ridge Runner shirts around here. How many Ridge Runners are in the house this morning? You can make noise too. Come on, yell. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm a part of the Ridge Runners. I have my cool blue and green bracelet. Love runs the D. Uh, but Ridge Runner, it's one of those things where if you're wearing a shirt or you're a Ridge Runner, six months ago you probably never imagined yourself running uh, half or full marathon. But this, you got swept up, as I did a couple years ago, into this Ridge Runners thing. And we're raising money to free slaves in human trafficking world. And you got swept up by influence. It was the influence that caught you. Some of you live in the neighborhood you live in because of influence of others. Some of you have the job that you have because of the influence of others. This applies to our regrets I think some of our biggest regrets that you're thinking of right now 
As soon as I said regret, it came to your mind. Some of the biggest regrets of our lives did not happen alone, but they were either with or by the influence of, of other people. See, people have influence. The people around us matter. And so we need to look around. It's one thing to look up, one thing to look down. That's cool. But we need to look around. See, I, I see this in teenagers all the time. I've been working with teens for 12 years. And a couple times a year, it's consistent. I, I teach a series about friendships. And I tell them, look, if you're not loving the outcome of your life right now, or you look where it's headed and you're like, uh, I don't think I like that, then more, more often than not, you need to uh, change your friend circle. You need to look who you're around. And the same thing for us. The only problem is we can look around, that's fine, but the, the problem with that is that oftentimes we're oblivious to the impact of others. We don't see our community, we don't see our peers as having influence. We're oblivious to it. I think that's the minority of people, the people that are oblivious. I think the majority of us, me included, is oftentimes we don't allow the influence of others to impact us. We don't allow our peers to influence us. And I think there are some reasons, whether intentional or not, there are reasons why we don't allow our peers, your peers, your community, to impact you, to have influence over you. Now, uh, the first one, we see ourselves as equals. What right do I have to push, to confront, to strengthen those who I think are in the same boat as me? What do they know that I don't know? What, what, what do I know that they don't know? And so what right do I have to push? What right do you have to push? And so we can get an attitude of, uh, it's one thing to look up. Yeah, sure, they've been where I have and they're through it now. Or it's one thing to look down and say, okay, yeah, I'm bringing someone along. I get that. That's great and all. But looking around is tough because we see ourselves as equals. The second, we are worried about our reputation. We're worried about what people are going to think of us. Peers will lose respect, potentially, if you confront. Peers will lose respect. Your community will think of you differently if you push, if you strengthen a little bit. And so we're worried about our reputation. I think pride drives this a lot. This line of thinking of worried about our reputation, pride is the root, isn't it? Because we try to convey an image. We try to image control. And that's a fancy term. Image control is just that. We control the image other people see of us. Facebook and Instagram are brilliant with this, don't you think? Because you can create a profile. And it could have on there exactly what you want to portray to everyone that follows you. And you could edit it. You can post only the fun pictures. You can post only the pictures of your kids laughing and telling jokes and the, like one arm around the other. You, could, you can control. And so, and so this idea of looking around to strengthen each other might include transparency and admitting some flaws. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My reputation's at stake. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to admit my failures. I'm not going to admit my flaws. We try to convey an image. And so our reputation gets in the way of us looking around and opening ourselves up. We play the comparison game. So not only we see ourselves as equals, we're worried about our reputation, but we play the comparison game. I think it's very easy to compare ourselves with other people. 
uh, if I was honest, this is what I fall into, the comparison game. And even the second cousin of comparison is competition. I really think I struggle with this. This is where I fall. I, I, I think they have a nicer car. They live in a house. We live in an apartment. They're, they're more settled than we are. I compare. You might compare your kids to someone else's kids if they're the same age. Your vacations to someone else's vacations. Your car to their car. I drive a 2006 Saturn View. They don't even make my car anymore. And so this is, this is mine. This is where I fall. See, we compare ourselves spiritually too. You find out that someone reads the Bible three times a week and you're like, I read it four times a week. Or you find out someone prays seven days a week. They spend time with Jesus in the morning with their journal and their Bible open and they pray and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm nothing compared to that person. See, spiritually comparing ourselves is dangerous because then it feeds into competition. And we can get into a competition mode, right, where we think that it's on us to gain love from our Heavenly Father. That we have to read our Bibles and pray and have some quiet time seven days a week because that person's doing it. God must love them so much more. And we get into this works-based faith where if we're not careful, we can, act, we can actually taint the gospel of Jesus because we compare and we compete. It's imperative that we look around. It's imperative that we don't fall into these traps. See, when you're comparing, it's impossible for you to learn from someone. And here's why I know that. Because you think you're better than them. Or you think they're better than you. And you cannot learn from someone that you're in competition with. Which area do you fall into? Is yours the equals? What right do they have to speak into my life? We're in the same boat. Is yours your reputation? You have an image to uphold and so you ain't gonna be transparent You're not gonna let let others see your life for what it really is. Or maybe it's the comparison, like me, the competition. Maybe you identified with all of them. Where do you fall? The consequence of not looking around is massive. Judges 2.10 is our reality if we don't look around. Because we'll never understand the influence of looking around and the potential that God created your community to be. We'll never understand it unless we truly humble humble ourselves and we look around. There's a story, there's a powerful story in uh, Acts chapter 10, and I wanna tell it to you because I think it works perfectly with what we're talking about. The story has two characters. The first character, uh, his name is Cornelius, and he was a Gentile. Cornelius, in Acts chapter 10, was just chilling, living life as a Gentile. And what that means for you non-Bible scholars is he was a non-Jew. And he, he wasn't in the family of God. He, he wasn't following God's laws. He just, they called him a Gentile. That's what they called people back then, not in the family of God. So he was just chilling, living life. And then all of a sudden, he has a dream. You can read it in Acts chapter 10. He has a vision. And God shows up in this vision and says, Cornelius, the way you're living 
It actually honors me. So what I want you to do is I want you to go find Peter. Okay, Peter's the second character of the story. Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus, as you know, and he is just chilling at home. The Bible says in Acts 10, he was uh, in a house by the ocean. So he was on the roof getting hungry. He has people kind of fixing lunch for him and he kind of falls asleep. And the Bible says he's in a trance and he sees a vision. So there's two visions going on here. His vision is a little strange. You gotta read the Bible, it's pretty cool. The vision is a, a, a blanket from heaven lowers down. Kind of like Aladdin style, think Aladdin, blanket lowering down. His blanket lowers down and animals are walking all up on it. Now in the Jewish culture, these animals would have been impure for Peter to eat. And then God says, get up and eat. And Peter's like, whoa, no, no, no. Trickster God, I get it. You wanted to test me. I'm not going to eat those. Nah, 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 nah. And God says this, this, this powerful line. Don't call impure what I have deemed as pure. Now, this happened three times. And then a knock on the door woke him up. And it was Cornelius' guys coming to get Peter because Cornelius had his vision. And so they're walking to Cornelius' house. And Peter has this, this uh, don't call impure what God has deemed pure in his brain, this vision that he's had. He's like, what, what's going on? I'm not sure. And Jews didn't go into Gentiles' houses. You just got to know that. It was like MSU fans going into U of M fans' house and like eating dinner, having fun. It just didn't happen. Brad going into the Country Music Hall of Fame. Not going to happen, right? It's just not. So Jews did not go into the Gentiles' house. And so Peter, a Jew, was like, my mom's going to kill me, and walks into Cornelius' house. And he says, uh, normally I don't do this. Try that next time you go into your friend's house. Like, uh, God told me to be here. I'm not normally about all this thing. Uh, Peter walks in and says, I normally don't do this. You're Gentile. I, I, I'm a Jew. What's up? And Cornelius says, you tell me, bro. I got this vision from God that says, go get Peter. You're Peter, right? What do you got? And read the Bible because Cornelius was actually quite humble in that moment. And he says, I'm all ears. Say what you came to say. And Peter at that point realized, wow, I'm just going to tell him the gospel. I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And so Peter does. And Cornelius accepts Christ. And to Peter, it was revolutionary. Because up until that point, the pervading view and culture of grace forgiveness and who gets into heaven was only for the Jews. It hadn't gone into the Gentiles yet. And this Acts chapter 10 is recorded history of a Gentile accepting Jesus. Now word spreads that this had happened and, and everyone was kind of like, oh, what's going on? Um, we read in Acts chapter 10, 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Let's jump to Acts chapter 11. The apostles and the believers, verse 1 says, throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with him? 
you would think they were like, yeah, cool. God's kingdom is expanding. That's so awesome. But no, they're like, you did what? With who? Not cool, man. Not cool. They were worried about their reputation. They were worried about what people would think about Peter going into a Gentile's home. But then Peter began to explain himself. He's like, guys, trust me, I thought the same thing. But he had a vision, and I had a dream, and they connected. We didn't know it. And so he explains, and we read in Acts chapter 11, further down in verse 17. Peter says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Powerful. Verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. What a powerful moment that was. Peter could have slipped back into fear and not pushed, not challenged, and said, you know what, that was a one-time thing. You're right, it's only for Jews, I get it. But he didn't, he pushed, he challenged. He said, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? See, God has a community for you if you'll allow it. Who are you to stand in the way of looking around? and impacting those around you? Who are you to stand in the way of other people impacting you? God's design is community. It's a big, big deal. The people around you have influence. How will you handle that? Will you allow it to push you forward or will you allow it to hold you back? There's another example, a more recent one, that I think really speaks to this. And um, it's Martin Luther King Jr. And if you've seen the movie Selma, you know the story of Selma, Alabama. I believe in 1965. And Martin Luther King Jr. um, led this movement. He saw something that needed to change. And he pushed. He challenged. And in Selma, they organized a march across the bridge in Selma. The first time, it failed. And it was a tough scene to watch because the police force responded with violence. But the scene following that, Dr. King holds a press conference. And he calls the nation to step up. So let's watch that clip. Yeah, what a powerful moment. What a powerful, Dr. King was a preacher. And so I'm willing to bet he knew Acts chapter 10. And he knew that Peter challenged the pervading culture and view. And maybe even that was part of what drove him because he saw something wrong and he pushed. Peter pushed. The pervading culture in view was Jews only. And he pushed that. He challenged that. Dr. King pushed. What about you? I have some questions I want you to think about. And um, you could write these down if you want to. But just, just think on these. Do you have a community of people that strengthen each other? Do you have a community of people that strengthen each other? 
Do you have people around you that are able to speak into every area of your life? Are you a person that is not afraid to push your friends to grow? And are you a person who will speak into someone else's life? See, the people around you have influence. How will you handle the influence? Now, I want to bring this back to Judges 2.10. Because remember, the whole series is based off this one verse. If we're to become a generation, and I'm, I'm including everyone. It's not age-specific. There's a people group on earth today that's in one generation. If, if we're to become a generation that breathes life into the next generation, spiritual life, we need to grasp this. Because it's one thing to push and strengthen each other in other areas, but Judges 2.10 was a colossal failure in the spiritual aspect. No one talked about our God reigns. No one talked about how God has been faithful to us. And so how do we get to that? How do we look around and push each other spiritually? I think Hebrews 10 gives us a glimpse of what this looks like when it's working right. It says this, you can read it. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See, when others push you forward spiritually, they're pushing you toward love and good deeds. They're pushing you towards something. Our mission here at Northridge is to wake the world up to Jesus. We're not doing that if we don't have our community that is pushing us toward that goal. And so what I want to do is I just want to give you four things that you can do to impact, to look around and realize the people around me really, really matter. Number one, connect yourself with a Jesus-centered community. If you're taking notes, write that down. Connect yourself with a Jesus-centered community. Now, you're, you have a good start. You're here. Way to go. Yay, you. But it doesn't stop there, does it? It does. Brad, um, during the zombie series, he talked about how when people come to Northridge, sometimes, not every time, sometimes they could fall into this, this rhythm of coming, watching, thinking it's a theater, going home, and doing nothing else. It's like we put on a show, and they go home thinking, well, that was, that was pretty good. It's supposed to be so much deeper than that. We just read Hebrews 10 that, that encourages not to stop meeting together. Uh, Jesus-centered community, the Jesus-centered part is quite intentional. Because we can talk about sports when we get together. We can, talk, we can talk about politics when we get together. But when's the last time you and your community talked deeply about Jesus? I mean, deeply. When's the last time you talked about what Jesus is doing in your life? to your community, to your group. We need to create margin in our schedule for Jesus-centered community. So that's number one. Number two, contribute and add value to your community. Contribute and add value to your community. This is a must. This is something that has to happen. We cannot just receive when we're in groups. We cannot just be like, thanks for pouring into me. Thanks for speaking into my life. Thanks for pushing me. We must 
challenge. You must contribute and you must add value to your group, your community, your peers. This is what Peter did in Acts 11. Thank God he didn't settle into fear and not push. Thank God he pushed and said, no, 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 God's doing a new thing and we need to get around it. This is what Dr. King did. When he called called for every person to rise up, he was challenging our nation, our generation. It's saying we can do better. We need to do better. We need to contribute. And so find a Jesus-centered community, contribute to it. Number three, allow your community to contribute to you. Open yourself up. Be transparent. Be humble. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Are you letting others sharpen you when it comes to your faith? Are you? Or are you so worried about your reputation that you're not opening up and you're not being real and you're not being transparent? We need to humble ourselves. Peter needed Cornelius just as much as Cornelius needed Peter. See, a lot of people look at that story and say, thank God for Peter. Cornelius would have been lost without him. But Peter needed challenging of the pervading view and culture that salvation was for Jews alone. And Cornelius was that person to challenge. Who in your life do you think you can't learn from? But God might be trying to teach you something through that very person. Finally, fourth point. I want to be careful with this because it's not going to apply to everybody. But some of you need to reevaluate the people that are closest to you. Now, I'm not talking about marriage. If you're married, you said I do, do. I'm not talking about that. But some of you, your core community group, your core group needs to change. 1 Corinthians 15, Bad company corrupts good character. If you're hanging around people that are not pushing you and strengthening you, you might need to find a new core community. Now, the one caveat is this. As Christians, we're called to be light. We're called to be light to the world. And so light, uh, the word picture in the Bible is actually quite cool. It's uh, you light a candle or you light a light and uh, you don't hide it. You know the VBS, the Vacation Bible School song? Hide it under a bushel. Yeah, you got it, yeah. No! I'm gonna let it shine, yeah. Jesus never meant for us as Christians to be in an isolated holy huddle where all we do is we talk about church and we like, hey, how are you doing? Did you read your Bible today? I did. Yeah, what about you? Yeah. How, are, you, are you loving your neighbor? No, I don't know my neighbor's name. That's okay. You just read your Bible. We are meant as Christians to wake our worlds up to Jesus. And we cannot do this. Thank you. We cannot do that if we're in our holy huddles. And so, yes, some of you need to change your core communities, but that does not give you an excuse to stop impacting, to stop reaching, to stop saying to your coworkers, do you want to come to church with me this time? Huh? We need, some of you do need to find a new core community, but that core community is designed to strengthen you, to empower you, so that you can go out and be a light to the world. So the four areas again, connect yourself with a Jesus-centered community. 
Jesus-centered. Talk about Jesus. If we don't, another generation is going to grow up. They don't know the Lord, and they don't know what he's done. We need to talk about Jesus. Number two, you need to push. You need to challenge. Peter did it. Dr. King did it. You can do it. Number three, allow your community to challenge you and push you. And number four, some of you may need to get a new core community. And it's here I would push you to the, um, this thing, the connection card. Because some of you, you haven't taken even a step to get connected into a group. And if you fill this out and say, I want to get into a group, we have a next steps team that would love to help you with that. Truly. This is why we exist. And so get connected to a group. See, if we do this, if we look up, like Justin told us three weeks ago, and we, we gain wisdom, we gain faith about what God's done in the, uh, with other people, if we look down and we bring other people with us and we tell them about God's faithfulness, and if we look around and we strengthen our own communities, uh, Judges 2.10 won't happen. In fact, the opposite will happen. Instead of a generation who doesn't know the Lord, we'll have a generation that comes up after us who has a personal relationship with the Lord, who has a thriving personal relationship. And it's because we've looked up, we've looked down, and you've looked around, and you did not settle. You got into a Jesus-centered group, and you pushed, you challenged. I want you to think about what your takeaway is for this talk right now. What are you gonna do? Do you need to fill out that card and get into a group? Do you need to push your own community? I have a Friday morning group that I meet with every single Friday, 7 a.m. breakfast. And it's by God's grace that I'm in there because it's one of those groups, it pushes me to be a better husband. I'm the only one without kids, but they push each other to, to be better fathers. We're in the Bible. We're talking about how the Bible applies to our lives. We're challenging each other to wake our world up to Jesus. If you don't have that, then you're, you're missing out on what God intended your community to be. And God might be calling you to change that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. I pray that this series would be solidified in the hearts and minds of these people. That they would go from here and they would find a group that would spur them on to love and good deeds that they would find a group that talks deeply about what you're doing in their lives. They won't worry about their reputation. They're not worried about comparing. God, they truly want to wake our world up to Jesus, and they truly want to get better. Pray that they'll do that. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a uh, next steps uh, kind of prayer staff volunteer prayer team. If you want to talk about this further, or if you need prayer, or perhaps you want to know more about this Jesus that we're also geeked about, you can come down to the front and the staff and volunteer prayer team will be here. Just make your way down as everyone's leaving and, and they'll connect with you. Thanks so much for coming. Next week starts a brand new series. Don't miss it.